And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. In the history of this show, we've had listeners in 190 countries. I didn't even know there were 190 countries. Now, one thing I do know is most people in all those countries have heard of places like New York City, Silicon Valley, Austin, Texas, Miami, and they often overlook where I'm from, the Midwest, the middle of the country, Kansas. It's not always sexy, but man, sometimes it is. And there is a heck of a lot of investing in the Midwest going on. And that's what we're going to get into today. Now, before I let you know who's going to join me in today's conversation, this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. SVB has been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank is built for what's next. SVB.com, people. There's a link in the show notes. And if you can't remember SVB.com, you're probably not getting funded, so you might not need them anyway. With me today, I've got a couple gentlemen from M25, a venture firm based in Chicago. I've got Victor Gutwein, founder and general partner, and Micah Sem, who's a general partner. I'll start with Victor. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. I appreciate you joining me. Mike, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. Excited to be on. I, I like to say that no one tells the backstory better than CEOs and founders. And that's exactly where we're going to start. Mike, I'm going to throw this at you first. What's your backstory? What brought you what brought you to us today? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's a unique story, I think. Um, but uh, you know, I grew up in the Midwest, grew up in West Lafayette, Indiana. Um, actually originally born in St. Louis, um, east side of St. Louis, um, which was a, a rough part for my parents to grow up to, to raise me in. So we moved, but um, grew up in West Lafayette, went to Purdue. Um, actually, if you know Purdue, you know we're famous for STEM. Uh, I went there for liberal arts to my father's uh, chagrin um, and learned how to basically understand the meaning of words in a degree called public relations and rhetorical advocacy, which is no longer offered because no one really knows what that means. Um, but while I was there, I started an incubator called the Anvil. And at the time I left Purdue, who was the largest student run co-working space and incubator in the country. Um, so we launched the first Purdue companies to go to Y Combinator. Since then, multiple companies have gone on to YC and raised millions of dollars of VC from there. Um, long story short, people in Indiana at least started to think I knew something about tech, which was great for me. And uh, after college, I was able to get hired as a first employee in a venture-backed nanotech company, of all things. So the liberal arts guy was learning how to get certified in a bioclean room, built 80 micron thick super caps. Yes, those are thinner than a human hair, and do all the things my engineering friends wish they could do first year of school. So that's what I was doing. Um, after the company, I was hired by the Purdue Research Foundation um, as a director to 
help market unlicensed intellectual property, but more so than that, work with the portfolio companies coming out of Purdue. And so prior to M25, everything I was doing was on the operator or operator support side of tech. Um, and that's what I was doing when I, when I met Victor. Love it, man. Love it. I got deep roots in, in the, in the Hoosier state. I once went the fifth and final college I dropped out of was IUPUI. So ooey pooey. And maybe I went to Purdue, but technically I went to IU and then maybe I went to neither one. My wife did graduate from IU. So she's a Hoosier. I'll go get her and you guys can have a fist fight over who hasn't been good at basketball longer. Go KU, go Jayhawks. Right. I know. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Couldn't help myself there. Couldn't help myself. Now, Victor, I, what's your backstory? Yeah, so I am from rural Indiana. Uh, my dad was actually a farmer and actually kind of instilled in me some pretty entrepreneurial roots. In middle school, I actually had a vending machine business around town selling with, with bubblegum machines. And uh, then in high school, I had a landscaping company, just small businesses, and was always kind of inspired by that. I did, uh, we moved to West Lafayette, just like Mike, kind of for more opportunity. Um, and then all of my friends and family went to Purdue. Mike went to Purdue. I did not know Mike then, but all the cool people went to Purdue. And then I went to the University of Chicago and had been in Chicago ever since. I was attracted for the economics degree, you know, wanted to be an econ major. And I started another company, uh, a, a scooter company, before scooters were cool. So we, uh, it was wrong timing, and I was not the right person to run that company, but it got me involved with startups and entrepreneurship. And I actually joined and helped be one of the founding board members for a student-run venture fund at UChicago. And that was a really impactful experience for me. I loved uh, venture capital, fell in love with it. We were doing very small, tiny investments into kind of dorm room ideas, but I really enjoyed it. And it was like, I'm going to do venture capital when I graduate. That wasn't actually a career path for anybody back then. It really isn't now to do go right into venture capital when you graduate. Um, and so I actually went into corporate strategy first for some large retailers. Um, I went to Claire's, the girls jewelry store, um, on their strategy team and then Walgreens on their e-commerce side. I had some really great experiences, uh, kind of maybe, maybe leveled up some, some basic career skills, but knew I wasn't going to be there uh, as a corporate person full-time. I had too much entrepreneurial, uh, inspiration in my roots. And in 2015, I uh, pitched some friends and family and pulled together a $1 million fund one, quit my job at Walgreens and started basically doing small angel investments uh, with the similar strategy to what we do today throughout the Midwest. Met Mike as, with one of my first investments because uh, I was investing in and around Indiana. Mike was a pretty impactful figure to a lot of startups there. Um, he was an advisor to my second investment. It was the first Purdue company to go through Y Combinator. He had kind of helped them get through that whole journey. And then we got to start working together on some other deals and opportunities. And I asked if you'd like to join a partner ahead of our fund too. And, and so we, we went and raised uh, the next fund, an $11 million fund in 2016. So uh, the, it, yeah, then the journey has continued from there. So that's, that's my background. So together you have formed M25. For those of you listening, go to m25vc.com link in the show notes. You can learn all about it. now. Okay, you guys are the youngest fund managers I've ever spoken to. So, and that's a good thing. You've listed that as your own selling points in here, but it's true. And, you know, with that, I would like to, I, I'm thinking you probably have a different, a different take 
on some of this, uh, you know, VC and fundraising and gaining capital and investment is, is a really hot topic on and off air uh, in and around my life. And you guys are dedicated to investing solely in companies headquartered in the Midwest. So thank you. And I'm down with that myself. But, you know, when it comes to all of this, like, so at M25, like, what are we looking for? Who, who, who are we buying into? Yeah, Matt. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that the age thing, you know, we, uh, Victor mentioned we raised our first fund together and, you know, we're excited, right? You know, we've got an $11 million fund. Um, I mean, we understand we're not the biggest kids on the block. We don't, you know, we're, you know, still self-conscious about our, the size of our AUM, right? But we're, we're, we're excited. You know, we've got, we've got money to deploy and we actually went to partner with the local uh, business leader uh, to do the the announcement. And we were so excited and thought the headline was going to be something like you know, M25 debut fund or something cool like that. The headline was, would you trust these two millennials with $10 million? <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, all could, right. Could you not? The, the, the guy who wrote the piece emailed us the article with an apology saying, sorry, my editor changed the title last minute, couldn't, couldn't do anything about it. So you know, it's funny, we've entered the scene uh, a little, you know, with, with some perception about who we are and what we do. And yeah, yeah, we're young, but, um, you know, more important than being young is that we weren't apprenticed into venture, right? You know, we, we came to venture with, you know, an outsider's perspective, if you will. You know, I, I'd been, I, I didn't mention I was a fellow for Chicago Ventures at one point. And so I'd seen some of that side of the table, but um, all in all, you know, we were bringing new ideas to the game. And I think that's, something that we've been excited to do while respecting what exists currently in, in venture and what's traditional and why it's traditional. Also understanding that, you know, we, we can add some new flavor and maybe that gives us an advantage to move more agilely than, than some competitors. So I'll throw this at Victor then. So Victor, why invest in the Midwest? Why are, why are you guys, why are we at full scale? And I, you know, at full scale's made $1.4 million in investments all in Kansas city companies. Why Midwest? <clears throat> to me, it's all, it was the obvious place to start investing because I saw back then it was even less competitive, less saturated with capital than it is now. But it was basically, there was about 10% of all U.S. venture deals were based in the Midwest, but only 5% of the capital was there. There was very, very little early stage capital in particular because you look around and people, the rich people in the Midwest, they did not make their money in tech. So what that meant is people aren't going to cocktail parties saying, hey, what startups did you invest in like they are in Silicon Valley? They're talking about real estate deals or their manufacturing company or farmland or whatever. And that left a huge gap because early stage capital is inherently local. It's inherently about who you know, getting warm introductions, being vetted kind of through time and building relationships over the course of you know several months at least and being kind of validated by other local peers and other founders and other investors. And that's, that's not something that you can just fly in and get. And so, you know, so this, this, so this was an opportunity for us. Like there's a missing, there's a gap in this capital market. We can be, even as young people with a small, tiny fund, we can actually go in there and get access to some of the best deals. If we had started M25 in Silicon Valley or New York in 2015, we would not be in the best companies in that region. We would be getting the scraps. Here, we've invested in some amazing companies um, and continue to invest in amazing companies. And it's because we have access from day one uh, just to the best opportunities because you didn't have to be a brand to get that exposure. You just had to be willing to put some capital at risk. 
So that was one of the biggest things is there's, there's just basically a gap. There's a lot of other reasons. I mean, we all know about the access to customers, the access to talent, the cheaper cost of living and cheaper cost of doing business. I mean, there's a lot of really great um, reasons to be investing in this geography uh, that have been, you know, time and time again, advantages for our portfolio companies. But from the basic elements, it was just, there's a, there's a market inefficiency and we're solving that in, in kind of creating this defensible comparative advantage that we can just go after time and time again now. Now we have a huge footprint and it's kind of, we're, we're entrenched here. You got any, anything to tack on to that, Mike? Yeah, Matt, thanks. I mean, you know, Victor's, I, I, would, I would make a point too, you know, some of Victor's comments are to answer the question, why did we start in the Midwest? You know, things have, things have already changed to a degree, right? I mean, I think, you know, you know we, we entered knowing that there was a gap, but also that at the end of the day, capital is a commodity. And if our thesis is right, that, that you can build great companies in the Midwest and eventually, you know, it'll become a more liquid market. We'll have to compete with more than our dollar, which, which is, you know, what we prided ourselves in as well. But I think, you know, looking at the region, you know, we've, we've done time and time again, we, we've tried to create systematic resources, whether it's our M25 summit or MidwestStartups.com that are trying to create what we call virtual density in the region, because we saw an opportunity here. If you look at the region from an economy perspective, it's massive, <laughs> you know, compared to SF Bay area, compared to New York, Boston, compared to any other region, it's a massive economic region. It's just wildly disparate in comparison to SF to New York, Boston, it suffers from a density issue. Now that said, we saw an opportunity to where if we can help create, as we've called it virtual density for the region, not only can we benefit and position ourselves in a great place, but the entire region can be bolstered in a, in a massive way. If we can make it as easy for people from Kansas city to Pittsburgh, to Minneapolis to do business founders to access resources all across that, all across that region, as it is from Palo Alto to Mountain View to SF. And now we have a massive opportunity. We're not talking about a gap anymore. So we talk, we use the word, the term density. And, you know, I, I know quite a few people in the Bay Area and New York, other places and, and the density. So, you know, like I, I was talking to someone a month ago, they said the great thing about, you know, being in the Valley is you're right around the corner from everyone. It makes it real easy to meet people. It, but when you get out of those markets, one of the things is I've talked to a lot of different people that run funds or just whatever, and they don't know where to go with the money. Like once they get outside of that density, they look at us and now we're not dense. Like you literally have like everything from the Valley to New York to Miami. And it's like, okay, so where do I start? And I think that's one of the things that gets, uh, that's frustrating for a company from Kansas City because tech's global. You can ship code halfway around the world with the push of a button. Doesn't matter if you're in Kansas City or the Valley or whatever. Um, do you think that part of why money hasn't poured in from the quote coasts is because there's kind of like, oh shit, where do I start? Like, it's like, you, I get the density in Chicago, but when yeah. you look at like the whole Midwest, it's like you're going from Milwaukee to Chicago to Oklahoma City to, you know, wherever. And it's a, I mean, it's a massive, it's a landmass. Victor? Yeah. I mean, it, it's basically impossible to try to cover the a central region of the United States from a San Francisco or New York. The reason why you almost have to be in in the Midwest, whether Chicago or Columbus or Indianapolis or wherever you're based and be investing here is because you really need 
to know each local ecosystem. You need to spend time in each one. You need to be uh, building relationships. Like we go there and we're like, hey, who are the you know the accelerators? Who are the local investors, the angel funds, the, the other VC firms? Who are the service providers? Who's the lawyer that does all of the deal review? Um, we'd like to know these people. We'd like to build relationships. We want to come back again. We want to make an investment within a year. And we've done that now in, you know, 24 different cities across the Midwest where we are basically experts on these ecosystems. I mean, of course, we won't necessarily be as in the know as anybody that's based in each specific city. But because we have a footprint on the ground, we've invested, we have built relationships, we've continued to come back, we've gone to the local events. We have, we have a huge information and network advantage locally. So now we're now we're the first to hear about deals. We're the first to hear about hear about a founder spinning off of the local tech unicorn uh, and starting their own company. We're the fir first to hear about hey, this person just sold. It was a modest exit, but they're going to start their next thing, and that's going to be the big one. And we're going to be hopefully the first people to hear about that and to back that and to have a shot at it. So um, it's a, that would be a mess if you're trying to, to pour through that in New York and you're just getting all these deals coming from wherever. Uh, to you, it's 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 just a, a wall of information coming at you. No. Well, that that's why my money stayed local in KC because you know it's just a collision factor. You know, you get you, you run into someone, you run into them again. Next thing you know, uh, you know a lot of these angel uh, and seed level deals come with uh, a posse per se. You know, multiple people that are willing to write small checks and maybe provide some value, and it's it's easy it's easy to be persuaded and maybe lead to something bigger. Now, in the event that your funding round does lead to something bigger, you might want to reach out to Silicon Valley Bank. Once again, this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. SVB has been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years. SVB.com. All right. So back to this conversation about investing in the Midwest. Uh, one thing I like there's, I feel like I'm shopping in the value aisle. Uh, you know, like, I mean, just, you know, every time I talk to someone anywhere other than where I'm at, they're, they're like, what do you mean? You have, you have a 5,200 square foot house and it's not $4 million. You have an office that's bigger than a closet and it's not $5,000 a month. I think all that stuff adds up and it matters. Um, I think you get different kinds of startups uh, and sometimes you can be regionally specific. Like here in Kansas City, we're a part of the animal health corridor. I didn't even know what that was five years ago, by the way, but there's a lot of people doing a lot of stuff. So you guys being, having the home, the hometown feel in Chicago, like what's trending in that, what's trending in Chicago as far as the investments that you've made? Yeah, I, I I will first echo the 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 value um, for for just the cost of living, the cost of employees, the cost of uh, rent. I think one of the things I actually found though was it's not necessarily that you're shortchanging employees either. I, I found that uh, you're paying a lot less for an employee, but they're actually making some of the best um, if you do adjusted cost of living. They are actually making some of the best wages that they could be paid. So it's actually kind of a win-win where the company has to pay less, but the employee actually makes relatively uh, some of the best that they could in the nation uh, amongst a lot of cities. I, I, that was a pretty unique uh, data point I found. Um, so just it's you know good good for everybody. As as far as what 
you know, we're seeing here in Chicago and just some of the trends more, you know, just around the Midwest of what we're seeing. Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of things. We have a lot of our companies, a lot of what we're seeing, they're not just selling to other tech companies. They're selling to core industries across the Midwest. The Midwest has a huge diversity of industries of like major industries, whether it's insurance, whether it's banking and finance, whether it's transportation and logistics, healthcare, um, uh, like manufacturing and agriculture. I mean, these are all things that make up huge chunks of the economy nationwide. And we have really big sectors in each of those. And I think that's, that's who becomes the customers of when you're starting a software or tech company here locally. And so that has been something that we've been fascinated by. We feel like that's also kind of making our companies more resilient in the long term. It's not just uh, VC dollars buying other VC dollars, um, you know, from one, one, one venture back startup paying another one for, for services. So that's been, you know, kind of a, I think a, a, a value that kind of goes under the radar. And, uh, and then also like we have, we've seen, it doesn't just have to be kind of boring B2B SaaS businesses. We've also seen a lot of compelling consumer companies come out of the region, um, whether it's consumer apps. Uh, one of our, we have a hip hop app called Rap Chat in Columbus, Ohio. We have a swimsuit and fashion e-commerce company called Somersault in St. Louis. Uh, these are things that you wouldn't necessarily think come out of the Midwest, but it, you know, it's not just B2B. I think that's one thing that we like to dispel that we've, we have, we've seen a really great mix and success across, across the board. So I see you have invested in 103 different companies. Is that correct, Mike? Yeah. Or close? <clears throat> that's about right. <laughs> so what, what's the average side still back to Mike here. So What's the average size check you're looking to write with these companies? Like, and we, there, you have a wide array of, of companies. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and once again, go to m25vc.com to look at the portfolio. I'm like, and yes, I'm paying attention to the show. I'm like scrolling through this list of companies. It's big. And there's quite a few that I recognize, some of which have been guests on the show. But I mean, Mike, when, it, when you're writing a check or you're looking at what kind or size of investment to write, like what's really in the strike zone? Yeah, great question. So um, at this point, we're writing $250,000 to $500,000 checks. Um, so, you know, average, I would say our, our average. It's not small. It's not small. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. See? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> or there's millennials now, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, 25, well, so, well, well, but case in point, like $25,000 checks, like it's all relative, but I mean, yeah. people get started somewhere like $25,000. I'm almost not doing you a favor if that's the size of the check that I write. You'll be out of money in six weeks. And, you know, you got to give adequate amounts. And then, you know, like I said, it's all it's all relative. But if you can't get it started on, on those in, in that range, then, well, we might need to revise the plan a little bit. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, it's been awesome. I mean, <clears throat> what we've been able to accomplish so far, letting us get to a place where we're writing, you know, these 250, 500K checks, it allows us to lead lead rounds, catalyze rounds in the Midwest that otherwise may have taken forever to syndicate or get done. I mean, we've all seen it, right? You mentioned some of these call them party rounds where maybe they it takes, you know, too many 50 to 100K checks to raise a million dollars um, and it can take forever and get it done. We can, we can help catalyze and bring it to a close pretty quickly. Um, but what we're looking at is honestly trying to understand what's the right round for the company to raise, what's the right amount of money 
what's really the like the right kind of milestone framework to be thinking about? Are we trying to hack value right now? Are we or do we feel like we've hacked value and trying to hack growth? Or um, what's kind of the the what's mission critical for the next 12 to 18 months of the company and what's the capital infusion required? So, um, you know, our preference is to, I would say, lead rounds that we'd call more of the pre-seed variety. So rounds of, where the company's raising in total half a million to a million bucks, you know, we're probably leading those. Um, rounds where the company's raising, you know, one to two, we might be co-leading, um, we might follow on or we might lead those. And then anything more than that, I'd say we're less likely to participate. They're kind of out of our strike zone. Um, but, you know, we will be opportunistic in some cases in those kind of larger, larger seed rounds. Um, but we, we really pride ourselves in being that first truly, you know, ROI seeking institutional investor that can help a founder go from pre-seed pre-seed series A fund um, to that to that milestone and also get them, you know, insane market access to downstream capital, assuming they can hit their goals. So. Um, that's generally the flavor of what we're looking at. Victor, what are you looking for in a founder? And I don't even mean a company. I meant just like a founder when you're getting ready to, to you're like, what do you, what do you see that makes you yeah. say, huh, I'm paying attention. There's a couple of different flavors. I would say, I think the first is like, yeah, if, if you're an experienced founder, you've had either a successful exit or maybe one that like, you know, just like you earned some experience, but maybe it wasn't incredibly successful, or you were at like a, you know, uh, an early employer, early important figure in a, in a successful tech uh, environment. Those are going to be, you know, we, we love to talk to those founders, but at the same time, like we've also invested in a lot of, you know, basically new or you know, maybe, maybe they're like in, coming from the industry or they're coming from another path, or maybe they're just, they could be very young new founders. And when it comes to that, like, you know, we are looking to see that they're, you know, they have um, built something and maybe have some momentum behind them, but we're looking for somebody that has vision and potential um, that is bigger than just being the hometown hero. We want somebody shooting for an exit that is going to make the the front pages of the wall street journal, right? Like we want, we want billion dollar plus outcomes. We want people swinging for, for a grand slam. And that is, you know, that's what, that's what we need to, to see to get excited. And, you know, there's, there's, that's not just storytelling. That's not just salesmanship. I think that's an important part of it. Um, but you can also tell by like their actions, even in the fundraise process and by their early actions of building their company. Oh, th this person, like they, maybe it's their first time at it, but like, wow, are we impressed with what they have done and what they put together? Um, that you know that that those are speaking that, that speaks very loudly to what they can accomplish if we if they get some more capital from us and maybe we can open up a few doors and bring our network to bear on it as well so you know there's a lot of that i mean we're looking for an experienced and diverse team from from the skill set from their backgrounds from their network you know we're we're generally looking at holistically at the team as well um but that's that's kind of you know some of the highlights i'd say so let's take, let's flip this coin over and point it at you, Mike. What's something that you see in a founder or a company that makes you say, uh-uh? <laughs> yeah. And, um... and by the way, my, my response to that question might be, hold my beer. And then we'll, yeah, yeah. So if you need a few minutes, we'll sit back because I, I get it. Yeah. No, no, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, there... <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Uh, 
the the reverse of this question, you know, if you asked me Victor's, I would have said, you know, I look for something in a founder that says that they, to me, they're inherently a truth seeker, right? Like they kind of don't care like what the answer is as long as they get the truth and then they work with the truth. Now, flip side, what what drives me nuts is when I meet founders who are like, hey, I haven't, I don't know what confirmation bias is, but I don't know what it is and I don't have it. Like I am, whatever this is, like, I don't care what the signals are, we're good, pie in the sky, you know. Um, I think like there's something about when, when founders, you can tell like, not only can they not be honest with you, but they can't even be honest with themselves. You're like working from a place of, you know, this is, you know, you're going, we know where we're going and it's into a wall and uh, we don't have to say it out loud. We just, you're just going to pass. Um, so I think, I think people who can't get over the inconvenient truth, which is most of the truth, <laughs> if you're starting a company, most of it's inconvenient. Um, you're trying to punch a hole in the universe and it's pretty hard. Um, I think that's where I am just kind of like, I, I don't think I can work with this person to try to do something that's nearly impossible. Sometimes the best thing you can do for someone is shatter their dreams. And I know that sounds terrible on a lot of levels, but I mean, I've had countless conversations with people and I'm like, Hey, I'm just going to do you a favor. You need to put your money back in your pocket because this is not going anywhere and it's not what you think it is. And I'm not trying to, to shit on your ambition here. I'm trying to do you a favor. And the other thing is, is like, Oh man, coming up on episode 600 to start a hustle. And dude, I've had a lot of these conversations with a lot of people about this. And most everyone that writes checks sees a hundred deals to write a check for one of them at best, which means 99 heartbreaks and one win. And, yeah. you know, I'd say 70 of those were never going to get a yes anywhere, anyway, anywhere, anyhow. And sometimes that, can change. Uh, me personally, man, I love it. I love a founder with scars. I love to see someone that's failed and shown that they can get back up off the mat. Uh, two reasons. One, you showed you can get back up off the mat. And two, until you've actually been kicked in the nuts and punched in the face and like dropped in the dirt and all of it, like you feel bulletproof a lot of times as a founder and an entrepreneur and until you've had a big loss or a defeat or whatever, which is humbling. And it, you know, I, and I just don't like people feeling bulletproof with a bank account that's loaded with my cash as, as part of it. So, you know, that's, uh, I mean, that's I mean, part I, of it. Uh, I think that's an awesome point. Like, but where I, where I find, you know, some ongoing cognitive dissonance, if I, if I can master this in my VC career at any point, then I will, you know, you see me list in the Hall of Fame of investors, but like the, the the issue here is that I think I think like as a founder to really do what you know Victor's talking about or like building you know walking waking up and with nothing accomplished and thinking I'm gonna go build a decacorn, like I'm gonna go build like a generational company um, that ever like hundreds of other people are trying to build, but I'm the one who's gonna be successful doing it. You have to have a you know healthy amount of eccentricity and a healthy amount of ego, but that's a dangerous line. <laughs> it's a dangerous right, right. thin line. Yeah. And you know, to your point of like feeling bulletproof, like I kind of want my founders to understand that the risk that the capital in the business is risk capital. You know, it's not monopoly money, but it's not the same as what's in your checking account at home. And you know, <clears throat> I think that's actually one of the things as you know, as a Midwest VC firm, we actually 
more often has to coach our founders to be a little more aggressive with their burn and their spend then we now don't get me wrong we definitely have to tell people like hey this is a cash flow issue like let's let's let's, let's slow this down but you know i mean unlike some parts of the country like the coast where you get a lot of sizzle and a little bit of steak sometimes um you know sometimes i want that founder to feel a little more bulletproof or or understand like hey it's not worth it for me to you know constrain cash if i'm literally just like limping along to a not satisfying aqua hire so um, the the, bull, the bulletproof feeling though isn't just always related to cash it's kind of related to in some ways to what victor was alluding to along the lines of like hey if you see the wall coming totally yeah or, do you turn like hey the ship's headed to the rocks guys and if we don't do any but but i but my ship never hits the rocks i always figure it out i know how to make this work and you're like ah that's the kind of bulletproof I don't like. Now, at the same time, uh, you know, I'll quote, I'll quote my friend Sandy Kemper, the the CEO and founder of C2FO, who will be our next unicorn here in Kansas City. He'll say, hey, sell me on your big dream. You know, because you talk about those 99 out of 100 deals that get turned down. They're like, yeah, I think this is a great lifestyle company for myself. And you're, you're right. I think sometimes uh, I'm not one of them, but a lot of people in the Midwest are, well, I don't know. We're different. We're polite. Um, <laughs> we use the term Midwest nice sometimes, which is why some people don't like me here in the Midwest because you say it, you know, but anyway. All right. So. All right. So if we want to, all right, if we want to invest in the Midwest, now we've done it, you guys have done it. We've done it at full scale. We've done a lot of different stuff. What about other people that want to invest in the Midwest? What's a good way to get started with that? There's, there's, there's almost an infinite amount of ways right now. I mean, like you could be an angel and just kind of, you know, start, start networking and getting involved locally trying to talk to founders, like asking who are other good founders. If you know some yourself, they don't need any of your money. Well, who else do you know that, that does? I think there's funds to invest in. There's crowdfunding campaigns to back. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of like avenues now that didn't, like even five, 10 years ago, didn't used to be available. Um, the, I would say one of the biggest issues is unlike when we started, you know, five, six years ago, now we're actually reaching a point where the best deals are competitive and you know it's, it's hard to get in the deals at least at the point when it's like you know hey they've already got some good revenue it's a good founder those deals are, are they're, they're they're bid up they're they're filled and they're only they're only taking some really sophisticated money some value add um strategic money at that point so as an individual angel if you're going to be trying to get access you almost need to take uh, take a stab at getting in very early, you know, idea stage or at least beta or kind of, you know, pre significant revenues, um, taking a swing early. I mean, that's, that's kind of the only way that, that if it's a really compelling opportunity, you'll get any exposure to it. I think directly, um, outside of funds or maybe some sort of, uh, you know, some, some sort of syndicate that, that you can join. So that's that maybe some, some, some basic ideas or advice there. Yeah, Mike, the, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the, the only thing I'd add is, you know, as Victor said, I mean, there's been more, there's more opportunity now than there ever has been to go direct and invest in a company. Uh, I'm not sure that's necessarily a good thing. <laughs> because uh, there's a reason why we, 
we're investing what we call risk capital. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, frankly, you know, we, you know, since 2016, since 2015, no, probably closer since 2016, we've evaluated um, close to 10,000 companies to get to those, you know, it's close to 103, there's a couple unannounced, but um, that's a lot. You know, we've got a lot of reps. <laughs> we've got a lot of data that like, I mean, unless you're working too hard, <laughs> like we are to evaluate these many companies, you just don't have the same data. And so like, not to discourage people, I think absolutely more people being involved makes a better market and, a, and a, you know better opportunities. But I think go, go into that with eyes wide open and uh, maybe maybe try to buddy up with some some local investors, uh, an angel group. You know, I think even Victor, when he was getting getting things started, um, you know, circled up with some a couple angel groups just to you know get some reps, see, see some more, see see, see more. Increase our deals well. Yeah. Um, just so you get a sense for like how other people analyze deals, add your own flavor, um, and uh, make sure you're not falling in love with the first sweetheart you meet when there's literally ten thousand others. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my, where to go with that one? You know, for those of you listening, there, it doesn't matter where you are. There's probably an angel group, you know, and and you know, one of the things that and, and uh, I've had so many conversations about investment in the Midwest, and I always, I always say that it doesn't matter where you're, whether you're in the Midwest or anywhere else. If investors don't understand what it is they're investing in, they usually don't, and. That's where you mentioned some of that old school mentality and coming at it with a new point of view. It's like, hey, this isn't real estate. And I've had discussions with people that could write big checks and wanted to get into it. And they're like, well, how do I get my money back? I'm like, well, you might and you might not. It's not and you're not going to take this down to the bank and put it on your personal balance sheet and lever another loan against it. And, you know, and like, that's a weird concept for some people. Like, what do you mean this company that is burning cash is worth $50 million? <laughs> if my building or my real estate, I'm like, hey, look, it's fucking tech and two plus two equals fish on some days. So just accept that. <laughs> and that's the way that it'll go. So with me today, I've got Victor Gutwein, founder and general partner and Micah Sem, a general partner at M25, go to m25vc.com. Couple things here. So as a quick reminder, this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. SVB people, they will help you. They, I, you know, I don't like banks and I, that's why they're the only bank we've let sponsor <laughs> this because banks don't understand what startups do. They have that, old mentality and they're often bound to a lot of different rules and stuff like that. The thing I've enjoyed about working with SVB is they do actually look at your business a little bit differently. Um, and by the way, people, if you haven't started a startup and you're rolling your eyes and going, oh, of course he's talking about banks again, go down to your bank and try to just see what they want your account as a startup, but that's all they want. They don't want to give you a loan. They don't want to do anything. They might not even want to acknowledge that you're human. So, you know, it is what it is. There's a, the, the world of finance is flipping itself upside down. So I end my episodes with what I call the Founders Freestyle. Why do I say my episodes? I am not the only host of Startup Hustle. Make sure to tune in on Tuesdays. Join Andrew Morgan, CEO and founder of Marknology, where you are likely to hear a conversation about Amazon or e-commerce. Tune in on Thursdays with Lauren Conaway, the founder of Innovate Her KC. 
Lauren talks about lots of stuff about women, leadership, and everything out there. Great, great show. I can't get 15 seconds into Lauren's shows <clears throat> without smiling. If you haven't had enough Startup Hustle at that point, did you hear we started a TV show? That's right. Started a show about startups, and the show is a startup. Just go to the YouTube and type, up, type in Startup Hustle. You'll be able to find it. Trust me, people. I think we're the only startup hustle channel. At least I hope we are. All right, guys. So as promised, the founders freestyle. Let's try. Let's do. We're gonna we're gonna pass this around the horn here. Who wants to go first, Mike or Mike or Victor? Who, who's feeling it? Victor, Mike, I want you to go. Let's let Mike go first because Mike's wearing a shirt that says "Cash Drop," and I really want a Cash Drop shirt. Like, yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. I'm just honest. I do. I just, I don't know what, I don't know why. I just like the idea of that. So Mike, what's the best advice you can give a founder that's in the Midwest that wants to get funded? Vet your, vet your investors. You know, we're going to do our diligence on you. Do your diligence on them. Ask, ask other founders they've backed before what it's like been like working with them. Get the real, if you don't know any, ask that investor for intros to it. First of all, you'll look more sophisticated than an investor. Second of all, you won't get married to someone who's horrible to have in your business. And then understand too that, you know, I wrote a piece called Founders Need Stewards, Not Masters in the form of as investors, I think it's our goal to understand that there's a human side of this. I, I've said many times that VC in some ways is more fake finance than anything in that it's when I think of finance, I think of something different. When I think of VC, I think of a, of a human behavior, a cluster of human behavior around a bunch of cash. And it's, it's obviously a little bit more than that, but the point here is, this is a human centric industry and, uh, you know, make sure you, you partner with people that honor that about you. That last part may have defined a, what a cash drop is actually a cluster <laughs> of humans around a large amount of money dropping. So I get it now. I get it. Yeah, totally. right, any, any, and this was a freestyle. So is there anything else you'd like to say to all the hustlers and founders out there that are listening? No. Matt, thanks for having me. Everyone out there hustling, be well, be good to yourself. Go chase big dreams and, and be a truth seeker. All right, Victor, you're up. This this is a freestyle, right? You can rap. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I asked the question just because, honestly, sometimes people are like, what should I say? I don't know. If you're in the Midwest, you want cash from the best, <laughs> call him 25, put us to the test. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god honestly, like, honestly, like, you, you can't unhear that saying. people you can't unhear that but thank you because honestly dude you're the first person to actually rap in the freestyle yeah yeah 600 episodes, 600 episodes and it's the first yeah. one yeah you you're a trailblazer <laughs> you're interviewing the wrong people yeah <laughs> yeah would, would you trust this millennial with 10 million dollars <laughs> totally Totally. With flow like that, you're just blinded. Like, I mean, yeah. So where do I sign? Um, I don't even know if I'm going to let you say anything else for your own good. Because I, yeah. how do you, yeah, how do you go on with that? Man, I, how do you follow that? Man, I feel it's like, like Led Zeppelin and Jay-Z just opened for me. And now I'm out with my three song ca catalog. Um, I think overall, when it comes to investing in the Midwest, treat it like you're anywhere else. Have a big dream. Be prepared like you would in the Valley. Like why look at it any differently? Uh, you might have to try a little harder. You might have to look a little further. Um, you know, here we are recording on a day where my business partner at Full Scale had an acquisition event on his company at Stackify. Literally sold the company 
and has never been in the same room with any of the people from the acquiring party or the private equity group that orchestrated all of it, which means you are out of excuses. If you're in the fucking Midwest and you're telling yourself that's why you can't get funded, my first question is, do you have Zoom? Because you can <laughs> find people everywhere. Like, that's it, you know? And, and another thing, too, is uh, I'm just, the trend is that everybody I talk to, they're like, our fund mandates that we have to spend this amount of the fund outside of the Valley or on different levels of diversity. And, you know, there's just, and on top of that, you have all, you have crowdfunding, crowd angel, crowd everything. In Kansas, we have angel tax credits. You know, there's just, there's so many ways to put it and piece it together. If you're not getting it done, you're either not trying or your idea might actually not be that great, but probably one of the two. So guys, thank you so much for joining. For those of you listening, go to m25vc.com. Find something where you can email Victor your lines and your flow. I'm pretty sure he'll wrap it. Do you are you on Cameo or anything like that? It's I'm like, on rap I'm on rap chat. That's the new that's the thing. Ah, the is that what rap chat does? I'm trying to end the show, but now I want to know is that what rap chat does? I mean, you rap basically it's a mobile people? mobile recording studio for you started with hip hop, but other artists too. So I worked in the music industry for a, uh, over a decade. And where was that when I needed it? So, all right, guys, thank you so much. I'm going to get back to orchestrating my next cash drop. I'll see you next time. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Peace. Thanks. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.